We're moving in round into round two of a political heavyweight battle. We're going to talk with one of the combatants coming up. Hang around. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Welcome to another edition of the Chuck Williams Show. Let's get right with it. Our guest is Democratic gubernatorial nominee Stacey Abrams, fresh off of an unchallenged primary win. Leader Abrams, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's just start right off the bat. I mean, you and Governor Kemp will be in a rematch. The only difference is he's the incumbent. Neither one of y'all were in the office uh, four years ago. So what's different now from four years ago? One, there's a record to, to look at. Under Governor Kemp, we know communities are suffering. We know that he has decided to ban abortion. He has decided to make our communities less safe with guns. He has refused resources to save lives and save hospitals. And on every metric, he has been willing to benefit himself and his cronies and not the people of Georgia. On the voting side, we know that in this last uh, primary, 42,000 people who didn't vote in the 2018 general election showed up in the 2022 Democratic primary. And so the numbers are in our favor. We know that in 2018, Democrats hadn't won statewide in a while, and now we've done it three times, and I look to make certain we get it done in 2022. When you look at 2018, you came very close but didn't win, but you had a ground game that got you almost over the top but not there. Then you go fast forward to 2020, then the January runoffs of 2021, the Democrats did get over the top with that ground game, that grassroots. If you look right now, and I read a couple stories today about it, where the Republicans and Governor Kemp particularly are starting to rip pages out of y'all's playbook on the ground game and on on working grassroots county to county to get out the vote. One, are you surprised they're doing it, and is imitation the most sincere form of flattery? The way to win elections is to get people to vote. Uh, What we did in 2018, what we repeated in 2020 and 2021, was to focus on voters that were left out and left behind. And the problem for Republicans is that they are not going to find those voters. They're not going to talk to those voters because the policies they propose, the policies they have espoused, the policies that Governor Kemp has signed into law are the very policies pushing these communities away from opportunity. And so, yes, I, I welcome anyone who wants to engage people in our democracy, But what we are going to do is turn voters out who actually want to see success for themselves and their families. And Republicans can't do that unless they change their policies, which they're not willing to do. One of the things, the statement that came out of it was Cody Hall, who's um, Governor Kemp's spokesperson. He said, the days of being able to throw an R by your name and run a few TV ads and win in Georgia are over. Would you agree with with what Cody said on that in that? For the first time, I think, yes, I completely agree. Uh, but no, but let's be clear. Yeah, I'm, the, and, the, the, the reality is that there has been a 20-year run where, yes, simply putting a letter by your name meant that you were going to do things that people needed. What we have been able to demonstrate in Georgia from my campaign in 18 and the work that we continue to do through today is that people want to see results. They want to see that their lives are improved. And it is insufficient to say that that letter promises progress because for too many Georgians, it has not. No, when you started your campaign, one of the places you went was Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. Cuthbert's an hour's drive or a little less from here. 
And since 2019, that hospital, that rural hospital that was the first line of health care for many rural Georgians was, is gone, is closed. How do you plan to push the Medicaid expansion and, and something clearly the Republicans are not in favor of because they could have done it at any time? How are you going to push Medicaid expansion and are you going to use Cuthbert as kind of a poster child for that? I think, sadly, Cuthbert is the poster child for what is at stake and the lives that are lost. If you remember, I was introduced in that event by a nurse who used to work at that hospital, but who, instead of talking about how that hospital saved her aunt's life, she had to tell us that because that hospital shut down, her aunt died because they couldn't get her to the closest hospital in Alabama. Georgia shouldn't have to rely on Alabama to save the lives of our people. Medicaid expansion is the solution. And what I would also disagree with, though, is that this isn't, it's not that Republicans don't agree with Medicaid expansion. Republican leadership does not support Medicaid expansion. But everywhere I go, people want health care. They want their hospitals. Because it wasn't just Cuthbert. It was Commerce, Georgia, that lost a hospital in the middle of COVID. East Point Atlanta is losing access to a hospital and to hospital services because of the refusal to expand Medicaid. My responsibility is to make certain that people understand that Medicaid expansion is about saving lives, it's about saving hospitals, and it's about creating jobs. And especially in Southwest Georgia, that is transformational. We can save communities, but we can also invest. We know that one of the reasons some of these communities haven't seen the grand announcements of new factories opening is because you can't put a factory in a community that doesn't have a doctor. You can't put a factory in a place where if the person gets hurt on the job, they've got to go two hours to get help. If we want to grow rural Georgia, if we want to invest in rural Georgia, it begins by investing in Medicaid expansion, by taking Georgia dollars back, putting them into communities, and letting those dollars turn into jobs, into healthcare access, into mental health support, and into saving real lives. And you're pushing the high cost of insulin as part of that. I saw a story today where you were talking about uh, about the cost that people have to make have to pay for insulin and how they have to make very difficult decisions. And and this is real. It happens every day. We are living in a time where prices are rising, but the price of insulin is going up astronomically compared to where it should be. And we know that Georgia has 12.4% of our population has this challenge. We, about a million Georgians are facing it. About 230,000 have undiagnosed diabetes, which means that instead of paying for basic costs like metformin, if they have health insurance to help them stay off of it, they get to the need, they become dependent on insulin. And if they can't get that insulin, we know that that can turn into dialysis, that can turn into amputation, astronomical catastrophic cost. If we could give people an emergency supply of insulin, that's what we want to do. We want to put $23 million in the state budget for emergency supplies so that somebody who is in between jobs, somebody who had an accident and couldn't make their payments that month, that they can get that 30-day supply. But we also have to expand Medicaid because the number of uninsured people in Georgia who would benefit from this is too high. We know that in southwest Georgia there are three counties where the percentage of people with diabetes is nearly 20%. Those are people who are reliant on, on insulin to stay alive, and we have to be willing to do something about it. And unfortunately, this governor has refused. But let's be clear. This isn't a program that is outside the mainstream. 
We know that Alabama has tackled this problem. Texas has tackled this problem. Georgia has stubbornly refused to pass legislation that has been introduced because the governor of Georgia refuses to take care of his people. I want to be the governor who actually takes care of Georgians and helps them live their best lives. Let me ask you kind of a procedural question. If you're elected governor, Mm -hmm. but the General Assembly stays in control of the Republicans, which that's a scenario that could happen, Mm -hmm. um, could you expand Medicaid without the General Assembly's help? I don't think you'd have to. I think that that was my point about this not being an anti-Republican issue. This is an anti-leadership issue. Republican leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, but Republicans actually believe in it. Recently, we had Chris Christie in the state. He expanded Medicaid in New Jersey in 2015. We had Doug Ducey in the state. His predecessor, Jan Brewer, expanded Medicaid in Arizona. Mike Pence expanded Medicaid when he was the governor of Indiana. This isn't it's not that Republicans refuse to expand Medicaid. It's that this governor and his leadership team refuse to do the right thing. They are refusing to take back $3.5 billion a year in Georgia taxpayer money. Instead, we are paying for jobs in other states. We're paying for hospitals in other states. I absolutely could pass this legislation. And I know that because I spent 11 years in that house, seven years as leader. And what I learned during my time there is that when you are giving people the space to do the right thing, most of the time they'll do it. That's why I was so successful as minority leader. I never had the votes on my own. It was in my title that I was going to lose. I had the (laughs) minority number of votes. I used to tease my my caucus. My my title was Latin for lose well. But we were successful because I know that people of good hearts come to that capital. And if you give them the opportunity to serve their communities, they will. Medicaid expansion is how we help rural Georgia, how we help Southwest Georgia, how we help all of Georgia. And I believe as the next governor, we can get that done. Let's switch gears real quickly. Let's talk about student loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a big issue. I think the Biden administration is poised to do something in the next few days, if not weeks, if not days, on some type of student loan forgiveness. You have played a role in what they're doing. You have been an advisor to the White House about this, right? I have advocated for it. You and Senator Warnock, right? Senator Warnock has been the lead on this. Uh, He and Senator Ossoff have made student loan debt forgiveness central to who they are, and I praise uh, Senator Warnock for the hard work he's done. I'm proud that I've been able to be an amplification, but credit goes to him. In your role to amplify, you have you spoken to the president or have you talked to people in his um, in his inner circle about what what you would like to see happen and why it's important? And we have we've been very clear in our conversations with uh, the Biden administration that student loan forgiveness is essential for economic development in the state of Georgia. Too many of our people cannot afford to make choices to improve their lives because they are burdened by debt. You shouldn't have the equivalent of a mortgage when you're 22 and you don't have a house. Those are solvable problems, and we are very excited about the likelihood that President Biden is going to take the steps necessary to start to solve them. What do you say on the trail if you get down into South Georgia or up in North Georgia around Commerce you were talking about earlier, and you've got a, a factory worker or somebody that's working in a hospital that doesn't have a degree, and they're a tr- true blue Democratic voter, but they have a they have problems with the student loan forgiveness because they didn't go to college. They're not in that position. What are you going to say to that person? I'm going to say to that person that we are one state. We're one Georgia. And 
not everything we do for someone is going to benefit everyone, but we should do as much as we can for as many as we can for as long as we can. Medicaid expansion is going to give health insurance to half a million Georgians who don't have that insurance, but it's going to lower cost for every Georgian. Student loan forgiveness is going to make certain that a young person who is trying to start out in life actually has the chance to start a business that could be employing someone else in that community. But they can't make that choice right now because they are so burdened by debt. If we can start to take some of the pressure off, we open up innovation, we open up opportunity, and we all benefit. Our responsibility isn't to only go for what we can get. We've got to go for what's best for as many of us as possible. And that's the kind of government we should have. No one is guaranteed success, but we should do our best to guarantee access and to reduce the artificial barriers that push down against people being able to make the best choices. And so I would be very happy to say to someone, yes, I'm not going to benefit from it. I had to pay off. I've paid off all my student loans and I owed a lot. And I do not begrudge a single person the opportunity to make better choices because they aren't worried about a student loan. Instead, they can pay off their, they can pay for their car, they can finally get access to housing, they can take care of their kids. If we help a family move forward because we've reduced the burden a little bit, then that's good for all of Georgia. The number we're hearing is $10,000 up to $10,000. Does that sound right to you in forgiveness? I, I don't know what the program will be. I will tell you that anything is better than nothing and more is better than less. And, and that's not intended to be vague, but it is intended to say that when we get caught up in only paying attention to the number, we ignore the impact. And the impact in the state of Georgia with so many students facing this, those are new dollars that can start flowing into paying for, you know, buying resources and spending money in the state of Georgia instead of putting money that goes out of the state and doesn't serve the people of the state. Switching gears again very quickly, you were able to sit back and eat popcorn and watch the Republican uh, primary. Um, and they beat up on each other pretty well, but Governor Kemp came out very strong in the end. What What, do you, what did you learn about the Republican you're going to face in that primary? And then did their contentious primary where Donald Trump was part of it, did that help you or hurt you going into the general? Brian Kemp has proven he's willing to go as far to the right and be as extreme as possible to win an election. The fact that in a state where gun violence is number, we're number nine in gun violence and where gun violence is the number one killer of our children, his response was to pass a permitless carry, to pass criminal carry and make it easier for gun owners, for people to have guns on our streets, for people to be carrying loaded weapons who put our lives in danger. He responded to the pandemic, which is still ongoing for thousands of Georgians, not by saying he wants to do right by those communities, but by refusing $120 million in SNAP benefits, pandemic SNAP benefits that would have extended school lunch programs here in South Georgia, that would have provided benefits for families facing food insecurity. He has proven that he will do anything to win. And I think everyone watching those primaries watched it. This is someone who didn't need Trump to endorse him. He has done everything he can to prove that he has the same disregard for the people of the state. And I think that if people were paying attention, they heard fights between two people who never talked about what they would do to serve the people of Georgia. And so for me, regardless of who the nominee is, the mission is to have someone in the governor's office who's going to serve the people of Georgia and make certain that every Georgian has the opportunity to thrive. During that primary fight, the former president came down here and 
in his feud with Governor Kemp, he said that State, Georgia would probably be better off with Stacey Abrams than, as governor than Brian Kemp. Do you one? I've I've never heard your response to that. One, I'd like to hear that, but also, uh, do you expect the former president to stay out of this now that it's been decided? I spend absolutely none of my time trying to discern the intentions of the former president, and I will not start now. Fair enough. Thank you for that. Um, Columbus, I want to talk a little bit about Columbus. Um, first, I'll throw you the softball. Um, Calvin Smyrie's awaiting appointment to be the ambassador of the Bahamas. He got an upgrade. Uh, he was originally the Dominican. Um, uh, They're ca- both lovely places. They are very lovely, but one's – One's a little closer to paradise than the other, in my opinion, having visited both. Uh, first of all, he is now out of the General Assembly. There have been a lot of Calvin farewell tours and parties and stuff over the last year. I think I've been to half a dozen of them. Uh, I'll give you a chance. I mean, as, a, as somebody who watched his leadership style and watched him operate, what did you learn from Calvin and what do you say as he moves to this next chapter in his life? I was proud to go to one of those uh, fetting opportunities uh, during the last days of the legislature at uh, the Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. And what I said then is what I would say now, that what you learn from working with Calvin Smyrie is that it is possible to work with anyone and work with everyone. And that's what he demonstrated. This is someone who was the most powerful Democrat in the state for many years, but he was also the most powerful leader in the state. He was able to work across the aisle He was able to work across ideology, and he was able to work for everyone. During my time in the legislature, one of the most important lessons I learned is that I was not elected to be representative for Atlanta. I was represented for the state of Georgia, and I watched that with Calvin Smyrie every day. I am a better legislator because of him, and I am a better leader because of him. There are those who would cast my politics as being somehow out of the mainstream. But what I learned from Calvin is that if you tell people the truth about where you stand, they'll understand where you are and who you are. My beliefs are in line with Georgians. I believe that we should protect our families. I believe that we should invest in our businesses. I believe we should deliver for the people of Georgia. And that is something that I watched Calvin Smyrie do for more than 40 years. And I am just excited for him to lead this country as a diplomat. And I just wish him the best. Yeah, hopefully some of us will get to go down and see him uh, in his new role. Um, talk a little bit about Columbus. If you look in the Republican gubernatorial deal, a lot of the Columbus businesses and business leaders in the the electoral class, uh, donor class, I call it, um, spent a lot of money on Brian Kemp. He raised a ton of money, Aflac's money, Sonova's money, Uh Calvin's old boss, Jim Blanchard. Um, A lot of money across the board. Very little money went to Purdue. How do you plan to, if they bet on Kemp now, I'm I'm assuming they're going to stay with Governor Kemp riding into the general. Do you think there will be some defection? Do you think there will be some some bets hedged? I mean, what do you, I mean, because Columbus is an important stop not just for Democratic votes. Columbus is an important stop on the financial part of a campaign, the, the Greece. I mean, there's a lot of campaign donors in this area. Yeah, absolutely, and I've been benefited by many of them and intend to be benefited by more. 
But I, but I think it's important for us to remember money doesn't vote. People do. And the resources that I raise are going to be used to reach out to the citizens of Columbus and help them understand why I am a better choice for governor, that I intend to invest in our communities, that I have a strong business background, and that I understand why fintech works here in Columbus, why it was the, the home of fintech, because I run a fintech company or helped run a fintech company myself, that I understand the challenges facing Columbus, that because of its unique t- property tax system, that Columbus needs to have better independence in how it structures its tax processes so it can serve as many people as possible. I understand that we need a governor who recognizes that, yes, while so many in Columbus are doing well, Columbus is still home to a community that has 25% of the children are at or near the poverty line. We have to have a governor who is not simply willing to take credit for what goes well, but take responsibility for helping other people achieve. And that's why I'm running. Unfortunately, Brian Kemp has not been willing to tackle the problems facing our young people. He has not been willing to tackle the problems facing those who are impoverished or near the poverty line. He has not been willing to do the hard work of helping people who may not vote for him. I'm running to be the governor of everyone, including those who are going to give all the money they can to Brian Kemp. And when I'm the governor, I'm going to welcome them in and say, welcome aboard. Let's get good done. You know, you're the first statewide candidate that I've ever heard mention our tax freeze. Yes. How do you, I mean, that's fascinating to me because there are a lot of people that feel the tax freeze is regressive and it it punishes soldiers coming in trying to buy a home. And if you're listening to this and you don't understand the Columbus tax freeze, basically you buy a home in 1992. You freeze your taxes right there. You're paying 1992 taxes. Okay, I come in, buy next door to you, same house in 2022. All of a sudden, I'm paying 222 houses for the same city services you are. It's a, it's it's a property tax freeze, and it's why is that on your radar? Because I'm a tax attorney by training, and tax policy is how we make decisions about who we are in the state. If you look at all of the choices that are being made. Look at how they're dealing with taxes. I am the person who stopped the single largest tax increase in Georgia history, and a tax increase that would have hit 82% of Georgians. Republicans will tell you that I stopped it. Democrats will tell you that I stopped it. The chamber will tell you that I stopped that tax increase. I care about tax policy because I know it's not how you spend your money, it's where you get your money. And if we don't understand how taxes work in the state of Georgia, then we're not going to solve the problems we have. One is law enforcement. They're going to take credit for a $75 million tax credit for helping local law enforcement. The problem is there are only five foundations in the state of Georgia that qualify for that money in a state with 159 counties, which means that we're basically passing the hat saying if you want to help local law enforcement, you can, but the state is abdicating responsibility. I believe that the state of Georgia, the government of the state of Georgia should help local law enforcement do its job. I understand that our tax policy says that because counties are responsible for mental health services and counties are responsible for public safety, that right now, public safety officers, our law enforcement, are the single largest provider of mental health services in this state. Changing the law on mental health insurance does nothing if we don't make certain that the poorest in our state have access to mental health care. And they need insurance for that. That's why you expand Medicaid, because expansion of Medicaid takes the pressure off of local law enforcement so they can take their county tax dollars and instead of spending it on mental health services, they can instead spend those dollars on actually protecting the public from people they're scared of, not people they're worried about. 
I care about this because I know how tax policy works, and this is my expertise. It has been my interest. And if you look at my record at the Capitol, it's why I got an A rating from the Georgia Chamber of Commerce one year, because I understand that, the, that what's happening here in Columbus is about a tax freeze. I know that what happened in Valdosta was the refusal of the Republicans in the state to let them solve their water sewer crisis. I know that in Atlanta, we were able to solve some of our challenges because of a new tax policy that we've that the state has refused to allow others to use. We've got to have local governments be able to respond to their local needs. We know there are counties that are agricultural properties that can't do the same property tax base. So let's make sure they have a basket of tools that lets them do more to respond to the people they serve. This matters to me, and I'm more excited about taxes than most people are because I know you don't, you don't have to raise taxes to do right. And you're going to hear a lot about how I'm going to – I'm not going to raise taxes. I'm the only candidate who has ever stopped a tax increase. I'm the only one who protected 82% of Georgians just because I refuse to let Republicans use the language of tax and pretend that they've used before. And that's what I want to do as governor. I want to make sure that every county, every city, every community – like Columbus, gets to respond to their needs and, and do better by their people. Last tax question on that. Do you think our property tax freeze is good is good, is good government or bad government? I think it's, it's a poor, it was a poor decision. I understand what was happening with the revision of the Constitution at the time that this was put in place, but it is regressive. It undermines the ability of the city of Columbus, of, the, of Columbus, Muskogee County, to attract opportunities. And to your point, with the single, with one of the largest veteran communities in the state, what happens is those veterans have to go somewhere else to buy houses because the housing prices are going up. And when you layer on top the effect of Columbus's tax freeze and the remarkable escalation in affordable housing challenges, we're making it harder and harder for people to make choices to stay here. And I want to make certain that Columbus has the tools it needs to attract and retain the communities and the people it wants. You put an ad out this week that basically guns and abortion. Um, do you think those are going to be the two issues? I mean, there's clearly a difference in the way you and other Democrats look at those two issues from the way the Republicans look at it. Is that going to be the two issues that it comes down to between now and November the 8th? I think they're two important issues that are emblematic of the kind of state we have. 65% of Georgians agree with me on abortion. 70% agree with me on the just the, the remarkably short-sighted decision to allow for permitless carry, for criminal carry. 90% of Georgians agree with me on background checks. And yet the governor of Georgia has said he intends not to do a thing about guns. And he is proud of the fact that he is banning abortions and sending doctors to prison if they decide to provide health care to women in crisis, like pregnant women who are facing miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies. Because by saying that you're banning abortion at six weeks, you are banning abortion, and that means you are putting women at risk. You are putting black mothers in particular at risk because we have the single highest maternal mortality rate for black women in the nation. We are worse than Iran when it comes to maternal mortality. And so I believe that Georgians are going to look at those two issues both on their face, but also as emblematic of what is going to happen to the state under another Kemp administration. He has proven himself too extreme on the issues. I'm not outside the mainstream. I am dead center of the mainstream on the key issues That's that matter to That's not the way Georgia. you're painted in the Republican ads. Well, it, I'm gonna, it's going to be a shock to you, Chuck. They are not telling the truth. 
This is the same administration that just told teachers they're going to, they either have to lie to children about the history of the state. They have to lie to children about race and identity, or they could face court. I mean, we are putting teachers in the courtroom and not the classroom. Most Georgians think that, that they think that's out of the mainstream. I'm a pragmatist. I want, and pragmatism simply means you want to get good done. For 11 years at the legislature, I worked with Republicans and Democrats and folks who didn't really care for either party to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. I haven't changed. I've talked about the same issues for the last 15 years, and I will talk about them for the next 15 because I want to see Georgia move forward. Republican candidates are going to try to paint me in a different light. Republican politicians who want to win elections are going to do extreme things to make certain they can win, and that means telling lies about who I am. But I encourage everyone to look at my record. Look at the fact that my business partner for more than a decade is a former Republican, now independent, who helped me. We built a business together that's moved more than $700 million into the pockets of small businesses in this state. That's who I am. That's my record. And the rhetoric that people might hear is not reflective of the values that we hold as a state. And I reflect those values. Um, last question. Obviously, the Democratic ticket's not set. There's four runoffs down ballot. Um, are you taking any sides in those runoffs? I, and, and go ahead. Oh, I've been proud to endorse uh, Charlie Bailey for lieutenant governor, Representative B. Wynn for secretary of state, and William Bodie for labor commissioner. I have worked with all three of them. I've worked closely with them all. I am proud of who they are, and I'm proud that they reflect Georgia. Uh, Charlie's from Harris County. I was going to say, <laughs> uh, Charlie's one of our guys. Exactly. I mean, and, you know, I've, I've known Charlie, I've interviewed him. Why? I mean, Charlie's got a steep hill to climb. He was way behind. I mean, why do you think Charlie would be a good lieutenant governor? Charlie came in second in a field of a lot of folks. And the distance between one and uh, number one and number two was 30% and 18% with a whole, with a, a long trail behind. But I know that Charlie Bailey, having worked with him on the campaign trail in 2018, having learned from him and watched him, knew him before, know him better now, I think that he is the right person. He understands Georgia. He comes to this as the only person who's both worked in on the prosecution side and on the defense side. He understands public safety and he understands justice. And we have to have leaders, especially in our state capital, who are willing to push for both. Unfortunately, we have a governor who thinks that he, he can punish his way to public safety, and that's just not how it works. Nathan Deal taught us that. I was proud to work with Governor Deal for eight years as he made certain that Georgians understood that we could balance and achieve success by making sure that we had public safety and criminal justice reform. It was only under Brian Kemp that we started to see crime rates go up. Violent crime went up, not under Joe Biden, not under the mayor of Atlanta. It started going up under Nathan, I mean, sorry, under Brian Kemp. 2019, 2020, that's when we started to see the rise in violent crime. Charlie Bailey is the person who can come into that Capitol and be my partner there to make sure that the state Senate understands that we can do good by our people and, and serve them. B. Wynn is a remarkable state representative. She has an extraordinary story, the daughter of immigrants who fled oppression and want to do right, and she has done an amazing job. And William Bodie was the whip of the House uh, after I left, but when we were there together, I watched him fight for the people of Georgia, and I know he's going to fight to make sure they get the benefits they deserve and that we have not only a strong labor market, but a labor market where people can actually take care of themselves and their families um, with the wages they make. 
going to be very few votes that decide that. It looks like it's going to be a light turnout, I would imagine. Everybody's staying light turnout. Um, last thing I'll do, and we'll do with you what I've done with all of my podcast guests, it's called Turn the Tables. I've been asking you questions. been asking you questions for a lot of yes, years. Yes, you have. Uh, you get to ask me a question. Okay. So I would ask you, when you think of the leaders that you have met, and you've talked to leaders across the state and on a variety of topics, What's the most surprising leadership quality that you have seen? Something that people wouldn't think about as a leadership quality, but you, when you see it, you know that that's someone who can be successful. Never been asked that. Um, the best leader I've ever seen is Scott Miller. He was commanding general at Fort Benning. He was the last uh, um, commander of Afghanistan during the pullout, a uh, four-star general, re recently retired. One of the things that I saw with General Miller, you saw all the real things. I mean, you know, he was Delta Force captain on the ground in Mogadishu during Somalia. You saw all of the bravery and the stuff that goes with being a military leader and a successful military leader. But the one trait he had that he you didn't see a lot, and you see it with Dan Amos too at AFLAC, is their ability – to get away from the trappings of their job, their title, all everything that goes with that, and they turn around and they can talk to anybody. They can hand, they can deal with anybody on their level. They don't expect them to come up to their level. I mean, you can go into Country's Barbecue and watch Dan talk to an old high school classmate. You know, Dan, they're not a CEO of a Fortune 200 company, but, you know, you see that. The ability to do that, once you get to the trappings of where people like you are now, it's hard to do. It's hard for people in that some people, when they get to the penthouse, to really deal with the guy who's at the door coming right. in. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I well, believe that the phrase is walk with kings, but keep the common touch. Yeah, it's the other phrase that it, that comes is talking about people in the restaurant business. You eat with the rich, feed, feed the poor, eat with the rich. Feed the rich, eat with the poor. So it's go. very similar. Um, well, our guest today has been Stacey Abrams. She's a Democratic nominee for governor, state of Georgia. She'll be on the ballot November 8th against Republican incumbent Brian Kemp. You can follow The Chuck Williams Show on WRBL.com Tuesday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. live. You can catch it anytime after that on WRBL.com. That comes with pictures. And you can get us on podcasts. You can get us on Apple, Spotify, and iHeart, the traditional podcast platforms. Podcast, easy for you to say, hard for me. Uh, then you can follow me on social media, Twitter, at Chuck Williams. Twitter's an important, important political uh, communication platform in the political world isn't it now isn't it, it is absolutely i mean you use it most politicians now particularly the ones that are at your level are using twitter very very twitter is an amazing place to communicate but you can't win an election on twitter that's the that's you can lose the, one on you, twitter. you can lose it but you can't win it there so you gotta you, you gotta get out there and among the people Great. And then on uh, Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL. And then on Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. I think that Doug put to me nine. Dylan, <laughs> Dylan Hansen, our director. Dylan, Dylan keeps me out of trouble. You've been listening to the Chuck Williams Show, and we hope you come back next week. We'll have another guest, probably another politician. We're in that season right now, it seems. Thank you, Leader Abrams, for being here. Thank you so much.